Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Leverett Ball Show. And today we are doing another segment of the Weiler Weekly Editions, um, in which um, the show is co-hosted by Baltimore Orioles disability consultant Bryce Weiler. And joining us as well is a first-time Leverett Ball Show guest. That is Ted Drake. Um, Ted is the global accessibility leader at Intuit. Um, and an advocate um, for special needs accommodations and hiring diversity. Um, so Bryce, Ted, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Leverett. Great for another Wilder Weekly, and I'm honored to have Ted on. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Definitely, definitely great to have Ted on. And before we get into our questions, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Hans Negrath Real Estate, Radical Strength and Fitness, and Santana Company Barbershop. And to start off, Ted, um, you know, as I mentioned, you've done a lot of work um, in terms of accessibility in the workplace. Um, I mentioned that you're currently working with, with Intuit, but you've done similar work um, with other places in the past, um, including Yahoo. Um, you know, you had a variety of roles at Yahoo, but you did a lot of um, accessibility work with them. And first off, you know, how did you first get involved in, um, you know, ac accommodating people with disabilities in the workplace and accessibility? The uh, I got into accessibility because uh, I studied art in school. <clears throat> and when you graduate with an art degree, <clears throat> you can imagine the uh, job possibilities and, you know, the art store wasn't hiring. Um, so I taught myself how to build websites mm -hmm. and I became, uh, I joined the San Diego Museum of Art and eventually became their website manager. And as an art museum, uh, we're required to make it accessible. So that's where I started learning how to take this really bad stuff that I was building and start making it accessible. Um, and that's where you start realizing, um, you know, it's not just a matter of doing code, but it's, you know, the stuff that we were building allowed someone to come into a museum and explore artwork even when they can't see it. Uh, and that's, that's where you start understanding where accessibility comes in is that it's building independence. It's allowing people to do things that everybody else can do. We just need to remove those barriers um, and sometimes provide additional assistance. Well, and, and that's great. And Bryce, um, you know, you have done a lot of work as an advocate um, and a consultant uh, for various types of disability advocacy. And I know the different, you know, teams and schools you've worked with, some have made more of an effort than others. Um, but how refreshing is it, um, you know, when you are able to meet people like Ted and other people you've worked with who genuinely care about, um, you know, having an impact? It really makes me happy to read about how much Ted's done and to email with him and to be friends now. I hadn't really known all the things that he'd done until we became friends last month, uh, emailed with each other. And really, I've, I've read about what Ted's done. It's been very impressive. He, Ted, uh, not only works to make websites accessible, but he works to give people who have disabilities the opportunity for great jobs and to live their dreams in life and that's something that everyone should strive to do so i'm really honored that ted has done that and that we're friends and and can share with each other what we're doing to help people who have disabilities to live their dreams to find employment and to make websites and other things more accessible for all disabilities 
Well, and, you know, Bryce, one thing we've talked about, um, you know, among the various challenges that people with different disabilities face, um, you know, one specific challenge is is in the, the hiring process and recruitment. Um, there, there are also, you know, additional challenges that come up once people with various disabilities have found jobs. But, you know, we've talked about how sometimes employers write people off without even giving them a, a fair chance, um, you know, while, you know, interviewing people and looking over different candidates. And Ted, um, you know, I know you've, you've, you know, worked in accommodating people in various stages of their career, but kind of like Bryce and I have discussed, what are some ways that the hiring process could be made more fair um, for people with various disabilities? One of the things that I recommend, and I've done a few presentations to different universities and, um, and groups, I got hired be, by Yahoo because I was um, I was active. I participated in forums. I went to conferences. I wrote code. I had a presence that extended beyond me. I didn't know it at the time. Um, I didn't realize that all the stuff that I was doing was actually giving me more of a, a, a brand, you could say. And then one day um, there was a team at Yahoo that needed an engineer. And one of the persons had seen the, he was on the same mailing list as me and had seen the stuff that I was writing, I was writing at the time. And they reached out to me. And so one of the things I do talk to people about is that when, when you have a disability, you already have a problem getting a job, especially if it comes to a face-to-face -face conversation or something like that. Um, because you're not only proving that you can do the job, but you have to prove that you can do the job with a disability. So one of the things that really helps is if you build yourself a brand. And a couple examples that I've shown would be um, Jenison Assumption, who now is at Microsoft and LinkedIn. Everybody knew Jenison because he was active on social media, Twitter. Jenison was working in Canada uh, working for a bank. He was doing great work, but his presence was far beyond him. Um, another person I know is uh, Srinivasu in India, who is very active. And it's not just, it's not just like being an expert. It's like sharing information and building those connections. Uh, people around the world know Srinivasu. So one of the things you can do as a, a teenager um, or as a young adult and you're trying to get a career is have a passion like sports. Blog about the passion. Um, make yourself well known so that when you go to a job and a recruiter is looking for someone, they come across you. They come across everything you've done. The fact that you're blind or the fact that you have um, a disability is secondary because you've already built this persona of what you're capable of doing. And I think that's, I think Bryce is an excellent example about that also. Um, you took your passion and you drove new opportunities. If you had not ever published or done anything, people wouldn't have known. And so they would have had more hesitancy towards hiring. I do have another, um, I have two nieces and both of them had sports uh, goals. One of them, uh, she's a passionate uh, football um, she wanted to go to USC and she wanted to be a sports writer. So when she was about 13, we created her website. 
<clears throat> and on that website was everything she was doing in sports. And she was creating videos and uh, posts. She did get uh, into USC. She did become the first female sports editor for the paper. And she's still working at USC doing their social media. She's also worked for the NFL Network um, and Fox Sports. I have another niece and her goal was to play softball for university. So we set up her website at 12 and we had videos of her playing softball. We had, you know, like a diary of all the tournaments she went to and she got a, a full scholarship, I think when she was ninth grade or 10th grade. And that's because they, she didn't go to them, they came to her. And I think everybody can do that. Just find your passion. For me, my passion was photography, and then my passion was uh, web development. Well, and you make some great points there, and it it's so true. You know, social media and branding goes such a long way. And you mentioned, you know, your your nieces and some other people who have done a good job of maintaining their brand. On the other hand, for me personally, when I've reached out to different former professional athletes and actors and different people for interviews, I've actually been shocked. I've had some people tell me, you know, thank you for reaching out to me. I haven't gotten an interview request in, in years. And, and some of these people, you know, they're retired professional athletes and I watched them as a kid growing up and thought they were a big deal. And now they don't get any interview requests and I can't believe it. But then I look at their social media and they have no followers and no posts. And, you know, they're people who have impressive resumes, but don't leverage it because they don't brand well enough. So right. like you said, you know, some people who do it well, it's gone a long way for other people, you know, not doing it well has gone a long way as far as, you know, getting in the way of their career and, and their progress. Um, so you make a very good point there. And you also reference how Bryce has uh, managed his brand and promoted himself and networked well. Um, you know, Bryce, how or when was it that you first knew that you wanted to start to networking and really get your message out there in terms of advocacy because some people you know they they're involved in advocacy but they're you know shy about posting it online or, or reaching out to people when did you first decide to like i said network and and get your name out there whenever i was in college at evansville with the former aces basketball coach marty summons giving me the opportunity to sit on the basketball bench that really changed my life but for the first two years when I was in college, I didn't really speak to groups or, or to do anything like that. Then in December 2012, Evansville was hosting Murray State, and the former Murray State coach, Steve Prome, who's now coaching Iowa State in the Big 12, gave me the opportunity to speak to his team about my life and overcoming obstacles and challenges. That was the first speech to a group I'd ever given in my life. And the players and the coaches were so impacted by my speech that they talked to me before the game, after the game. They ended up beating Evansville by 10. After they finished shaking all the Evansville players' hands, they, they, they came down to the end of the Evansville bench while I was sitting, shook my hand, gave me a hug. They, they had me back to sing the national anthem at a game that season. But on the same day that I spoke to the Murray State team, I spoke to a Division II team, Notre Dame College, um, who was playing um, another school there um, that evening in the same city of, of Evansville, Indiana. They were playing USI, the University of Southern Indiana, and spoke to their team. I had dinner with them after the game. They actually ended up losing by five points. They had a nice lead and lost it away because uh, USI had 
had better quality Division II players. So they end up losing. I'm on the radio with Southern Indiana and my friend uh, Dan, who was the first man who ever let me commentate a game on the radio as a blind sports broadcaster. And he, he tells me to take off off the headset because I have people coming to see me. It's the entire Notre Dame college men's <laughs> basketball team who just lost by five, gave up a lead to a Division II uh, powerhouse school. And they wanted to shake my hand and give me a hug and tell me how much they enjoyed speaking speaking uh, with me and, and hearing my speech. And it was really through those two opportunities that I realized that I could use my life to inspire others and to help people to, to live their dreams. So that's just um, transitioned into me helping companies or sports teams hire people who have disabilities to make apps and and websites accessible or to do whatever needs to be done to help people who have disabilities to live their dreams or to gain opportunities. And I've never said no to an opportunity. That's something I don't think people do all the time. They only do things that they're comfortable with doing or have done before. I'm willing to try anything if someone wants to give me the opportunity to to do it and to be successful. Well, and you it's interesting, you know, you mentioned how you know, I, I I and a number of people have seen different videos of you speaking to different teams and at different schools. But you mentioned, you know, when you first got to college, that wasn't something you, that you did. And it was something you learned how to do and got more comfortable with. And I think that's also that specific part of the story is inspirational, not just what you've accomplished, but the fact that you didn't initially do that and you kind of evolved and got more comfortable doing it. Maybe people who are interested in doing those things, but doubt whether or not they can handle it can be inspired by the fact that you you know it's a skill you developed over time and and also um you know ted i know there are different challenges in different stages of people's careers um like like we talked about but you know also there are challenges in in uh school for people with disabilities mm-hmm. and um part of you know why bryce and i decided to do this uh part of my podcast together the why Larry weekly segments is because um, we've both been open about our struggles with disabilities. Bryce has been open about being legally blind. Um, I also uh, have attention deficit disorder and nonverbal Tourette syndrome. Uh, you might not be able to tell right now because I'm medicated, but um, when I'm not medicated, I'm very fidgety. I look like a fish that just got pulled out of the water that's flopping around on the dock when I'm not medicated. Um, so, you know, we would have had to do an audio only interview if I hadn't had my medication. But anyway, um, you know, when it went a little, you know, off the rails there, as I do on many episodes, just ask Bryce. But anyway, um, you know, what are some of the challenges for people in school getting their degrees prior to, you know, their, their careers? I think I think it's so there are some schools that are excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and those schools that are excellent are excellent because they have a um, architecture set up not just physical architecture, but they have the network set up. They have school groups. They have a strong uh, student uh, disability student alliance. So the, the key thing is that a student that goes to a university that is prepared for people with disabilities, they don't have to fight the challenges every day. Whereas a student that goes to a university where they are groundbreaking, uh, Haben Gerba, Haben Germa, is an excellent example. She's the first deaf-blind uh, lawyer. I think she went to Harvard, I want to say. Uh, I've heard of that. If I'm wrong, Hobbin. Um, but she she tells the story about 
where she first got uh, active as being um, making a change at the university was just going to the lunch room with her guide dog and not knowing what was on the menu. So someone would help her, but she wanted to be able to check the menu in advance. So it's these, it's these everyday small barriers that you need to be able to uh, fix. So she uh, became an advocate and she got them to change the lunch, uh, the way that they displayed the menus and such and made it so that it was accessible to her. That <clears throat> taught her the lesson of how to, how to make change. Um, another friend of mine worked at Stanford and he was trying for a long time to get videos to be captioned. You know, when a university professor mm -hmm. does a presentation, they record the videos, but they weren't doing captioning. So he worked with the video team and I'm, I'm hoping I'm telling his story correctly. Also, <clears throat> he did something really simple. He just made the contract and opt out. So a professor had to check a box saying, I do not want captions. And it was that simple change of making them opt out of captions and building the captioning cost into the video production that helped them transform videos at Stanford. Um, so I, I'm not sure I'm going off in different directions about education. I think the key thing, though, is uh, if you have a passion, you go to the university that's best for you for that mm -hmm. for that passion. Um and if you have a choice between two, then you find the university that's the most suiting for you. Um, if I was an engineer and I was deaf, I would go to RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, uh, because they have the National Technology Institute for the Deaf. Add into it, um, most of my team is actually from RIT, and I've hired two deaf uh, engineers. Well, and that's great, you know, also that, um, you know, you've been able to to find people who you know can work for you as engineers and are deaf and have found strategies to to get past it and and be successful um and you know i asked specifically about school because you know everyone everyone's experience with disabilities is different but like for me personally my biggest challenges were in school um you know in my career i was able to find something that came naturally uh, to me for the most part and, and have success. But, you know, I really struggled at, at every level of school. And my, the most frustrating thing for me was, you know, when I would struggle in school, sometimes teachers and professors would accuse me of not trying. And it's really frustrating to try really hard, fail, and then be told to try harder. <laughs> and that was pretty much in my educational experience in a nutshell. I was able to get through it and, and graduate from college. Um, but, um, would you say there are more challenges, at least for me, there were more challenges in school than in my career, but would you say there are more challenges for most people with disabilities in either school or the workplace, or does it really depend on what type of disability they have? Um, I think actually school might be the hardest one only because mm -hmm. in school you're changing uh, every three to six to 12 months, you're changing all of your teachers and your support mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, I have a colleague at Intuit. She helped me found the employee network for people with disabilities. Uh, it's an employee resource group. And her daughter um, at the time was in high school and she had uh, schizophrenia, I believe, and depression. 
And one of the things that she advocated for was that she built a, it was like a notebook that her daughter would take to the teacher every time she went to a new class. And that notebook was, here's how I live. Here's how I work. Here's how I read and I study. So that the teachers, when, when she would go to a new class, it wasn't, you know, um, a confusion. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I was a teacher and I had a student that had Tourette's. And the school came to me and they said, by the way, you're going to have a student that has Tourette's. That's all they told me. I had no idea how to prepare the class, how to work with the student. In the middle of the class, uh, the student did have ver verbal tics. I chose to ignore it. Um, a lot of the other students chose to ignore it. That student didn't come back the next day. I didn't know how, what I should have done at the time. Um, and so as a teacher, if I had been better prepared, it's like uh, when you have a student with Tourette's, here's the best way to, to acknowledge it, things like that. Um, so I do think that transparency is important. If you have a learning disability, if you have a physical or cognitive um, sensory disability that makes it difficult for you to um, participate in classes where there are barriers, that being honest with the instructors and in, in the class really helps. Um, to that point, I have published my working style, which is on my blog. So that lets people know if you're going to work with me, I'm better in the mornings than I am in the afternoons. You know, it's like, here's my work style. Um, and I've taken that cue from her and other people have published these, you know, life working styles, lifestyles, things. So just, reduces the conflicts and increases the, uh, uh, the way that you can interact and, and get things done. Well, it's interesting, you know, how you were able to learn from that experience, having a student with Tourette's and you mentioned um, that he had verbal Tourette's and verbal Tourette's is, if I'm being honest, more challenging than nonverbal Tourette's, which I have. I mean, both are challenging, but like, Nonverbal Tourette's is easier, easier to hide. You know, I mentioned how I can take medication. It helps me to sit still. But also, you know, even if I'm not medicated and I'm fidgeting, that's still something that's easier to hide than, than verbal Tourette's. If you're, you know, yelling things randomly or speaking out of turn. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic for anyone uh, who has, you know, verbal Tourette's. Their challenges are greater than mine. Um, but that's that's great that, you know, at least you're able to learn from that, from that experience. And I think anyone, any type of educator – the longer you teach, the more different types of students you interact with. And you learn from every single student um, that you have. And Bryce, also, you know, what was your experience like in school? And, and how did the challenges you faced in school compare to uh, professional challenges? Well, I think college can be different because I didn't necessarily have as much trouble with classes or with being accommodated. But the, the, the staff at the universities where I went to school who were supposed to help people find a job and never really knew how to help me find a job since I was blind. So I had to, to figure it out on my own. And I think that's the hardest part for someone to, to know when they go to college because they're always told they can find a job or the staff mm -hmm. will, will help you do that. So you're trusting them to do that. And then when it comes time for the point of that to happen and they don't do that, that can be rather hard and confusing. Yeah. So I figured out how to do it myself. You know, what, what you're saying is really important. And um, it's something, 
at, at, at Intuit, I've been at Intuit now for nine years and I've gotten a lot of job requests, you know, Hey, why don't you come join us? And I've been really happy at Intuit because exactly that reason. There's so many super qualified people that graduate college and can't find a job. And one of the few opportunities they have is to start their own business. And so one of the goals that I've had it into it is to make our quick, our soft, our small business software accessible so that people can start businesses so that they can hire employees. Um, to that effect, we have been sponsoring um, conferences for deaf entrepreneurs and for blind and low vision entrepreneurs. And we try to pull in as much feedback as we can from um, blind and low vision entrepreneurs that are using our products. My goal is to see unemployment drop and underemployment drop for people with disabilities because they're starting businesses and they're hiring other people. Um, a great example of that is a restaurant in San Francisco called Mozaria. It's a pizza restaurant um, founded by a deaf couple and everybody that works there is deaf. They even have pizza trucks and they just opened a second one in Washington, D.C. They had so many people coming to them saying, how did you do this? I want to do this, that they actually uh, split off the pizza restaurant and created a new business called Yantern, where <laughs> are consultants for deaf and hard of hearing uh, entrepreneurs because they realize that need for uh, helping people become independent. Because you could be a Ph.D., and still not find a job. And that's really bad. You're absolutely right. And and that that's so relevant in today's world. Like you said, so many people I've met with, you know, multiple graduate degrees still are struggling to figure out what they want to do with their their careers. And, you know, entrepreneurship is a great option, especially if, like you said, you know, you're good at promoting your brand and networking. Um, but you know, what I want to ask you about entrepreneurship, both Bryce and I have experience doing both things. You know, Bryce has worked with teams like the Orioles, but then he's done his own nonprofit stuff. In my case, you know, I've been on ESPN and other TV networks, but I also do my own podcast. So both Bryce and I have had the experience of working for other people and also working for ourselves. But, you know, one thing I like about doing my own podcast is that I don't have to explain my learning style and my personality or my disabilities to anyone. I can just kind of do things my way. And do you think that entrepreneurship is specifically a good thing for people who are talented, but also have disabilities because it allows their talents to shine through without the stigma of disabilities getting in the way? I, you're using the term stigmas of disability. Mm -hmm. I think that that might be where I'm hesitant on that. Mm -hmm. I think entrepreneurship is wonderful people that have the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm not. Um, I've, I've tried dabbling in small businesses, but I'm the kind of person that thinks of big things and I want someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. Other people are the opposite. They think something and they want to drive it. Mm -hmm. But where entrepreneurship does, um, it opens doors. It, it's a, something that's available to someone where there are, there doesn't seem to be any other options. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's something where I have a passion for creating things like knitting or, or uh, photography or music. And um, 
I, I don't have the mobility to travel across the cities and stuff like that. Maybe I don't have that kind of mobility. So I can do stuff at home and I can still make the money and become independent. And also entrepreneurship doesn't depend on a physical or cognitive ability. Entrepreneurship is about passion and it's about building the opportunities and getting the help that you need. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, Bryce and I talk uh, a lot about disabilities with our various guests and I didn't anticipate, you know, the conversation going in this direction, but I, I think entrepreneurship is, is a great thing. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions about entrepreneurship. People think, you know, if you're either an entrepreneur or a freelancer that, you know, you just simply can't get a, a job or, you know, you're not as talented as other people. Some people choose to go that route when they have mm -hmm. other options. And, for example, the stuff I've done on ESPN, that was all freelance work. I'm not a full-time employee for them, but I'd rather do that than say I'm a full-time employee at a television network that no one watches. But I think there are certain misconceptions and biases that people have against entrepreneurs and freelancers, and you can do really well doing that. And that's great that, you know, Intuit helps, you know, those entrepreneurs and, and small businesses. Um, but also, um, you know, I just had a, a couple more things to ask. You know, I know, Ted, you have some uh, things you need to do a little later, um, but um, I guess I'll ask both of you, um, you know, what are some ways that society could do better as far as um, being more accepting and, and welcoming for people with disabilities? I'll go first, I guess. I think giving people who have disabilities a chance for employment, if you're not at a large company, it might be harder to do that, but, but doing the best that you can, whether it's an internship or a few weeks with a job or or just, just whatever you can to give people opportunities because not everyone's going to get that opportunity to work at a large um, established company. Um, I can teach you accessibility. I can teach you how to make a website accessible, but I can't teach empathy. Um, empathy comes from awareness. And it's not a charity. We're not a charity at all. We're not doing this to help people, you know, as like we're doing good. We're doing this because it's the right thing to do. So what I would recommend is that people need to um, have a broader idea. You know, someone with a disability is your grandparents who may not hear as well, may not see as well, may not understand. So if you have a business, try explaining it to your grandparents, how you would sign up for this. You know, it could be that simple or it could be volunteering with your local organizations, but it's about, um, it's about being open to the people around you. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's just like diversity and inclusion in general. If, if you're, if you're only within your bubble, you're never going to be um, as successful as if you open up and work with everybody. Um, one thing is there's a video from the Department of Labor. Uh, it's just an excellent two-minute video about disability etiquette. And it says so much that um, normally I would talk for like 15, 20 minutes explaining all of these things, and they do it in two minutes. So I always, everybody that joins into it watches that video because uh, it just opens your eyes to like how... How do you communicate with someone? How how do you help someone? But it's not like it's not like blasting it at you. You're mm -hmm. just seeing in real life experiences. This is the way life is. 
Well, and maybe, you know, I should watch that video and get some pointers, you know, as far as being concise with your message. Cause you know, as Bryce knows, I don't always cut to the chase. Sometimes I take a zigzagging route to my main point on this podcast, but um, mm-hmm. you know, also before uh, we wrap things up um, oftentimes when I have people on, you know, I ask them if, um, there are any charities people can donate to our websites they could check out. But if anyone um, wants to go online and either donate to some causes that um, you care about as far as disability advocacy or just simply go online and read and learn, um, what are some some websites you recommend um, our listeners and viewers check out? One of the projects I was pushing last year was uh, schools in India that are teaching independence living skills for people that are blind and low vision. Uh, Due to COVID, those schools had to shut down. Those people uh, moved back to their villages and they didn't have the technology. So it's not one website, not one project, but I've been uh, working on how we can get technology, mobile phones to those schools so that they can give them out to their students. So if you are in India, um, and you have the ability to, you know, send some money to your local um, National Federation for the Blind or other similar organization that really helps. Um, I, we work with a couple companies and organizations in, uh, in the Bay Area, GatePath, I'm really happy with. They, they provide um, assistance for people with uh, cognitive and physical disabilities from birth to uh, adulthood. And that's the problem is a lot of times people, they have assistance when they're in school, but at a certain age, you, you age out of the school system and then uh, they still need help. So uh, organizations like that are really helpful. And I just published an article on sickle cell disease and uh, inclusive design. And I do wish that everybody would learn more about sickle cell disease and understand the, uh, the complications that people with this disease live with. And it's not just a physical complication, it's also the social, the racism, the ignorance. Um, It's a terrible, very painful disease, but people are not giving them the respect that they need. Well, and, and that you make a great point there. And, and I'll be honest, you know, I'm personally someone who's not very well informed on, on sickle cell. So that'll be an interesting read for me. I'll definitely um, check that out. Um, but, um, you know, Ted and Bryce, thank you both so much for, uh, for coming on the show. Um, you know, Bryce has to deal with me regularly and Ted, thank you for making your first <laughs> sure. appearance. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I, I appreciate the call. When you, uh, asked me to join a sports podcast, I was a bit worried. <laughs> I'd love watching sports, but I'm not a sports follower. I still think the Cubs are going to win the Super Bowl one of these days. <laughs> you never know. I mean, who knows? Maybe the franchise can they won the World Series. Game. Whoever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or they'll win the Stanley Cup. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, but once again, that's Ted Drake and Bryce Weiler. I'm Leverett Ball. Thanks for tuning into the Leverett Ball Show.